It's Resurrection Sunday, and this is perhaps one of the greatest days of celebration that the Christian should uh, be walking in the power of. I think a lot of Christians still walk around as if they're dead in the grave uh, and forgot the fact that Jesus actually rose from the grave and he now rules and reigns alive from a place of um, great authority. And in fact, you may, if you've just heard it on the, the tail end of that scripture reading, when Jesus breathed on his disciples, said, receive the Holy Spirit, he says, if you forgive people's sins, um, the Father will forgive them. But if you don't forgive people's sins, then their sins aren't forgiven. And what Jesus is saying in that one very powerful statement is he's conferring from himself all the authority that he's just won from breaking the neck and the power of death. And he's taking all of that authority that he's now been given and he's conferring it onto his disciples, the people of Jesus, and he's saying to them, the amount of authority that I'm putting onto you is the same that the Father put onto me. And the, what the authority that he gave me was the authority to forgive sin. And he's saying, now you can do this. You can now be the authorised people of the kingdom of God going about and declaring to people situations and circumstances there is forgiveness and freedom. That is the amount of authority that's in that statement and often we miss that sort of stuff in those, uh, those scriptures. But you can take that one home for free. All right. Um, let me just pull up here my, uh, my um, PowerPoint. Or is, yeah, let me just pull it up here. Excellent. Alrighty, let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we uh, open the Scriptures and as we spend some time in them this morning, we just pray that you'd open our hearts, you'd open our mind, you'd challenge our lifestyle with the good news of the Kingdom of God has come among us. And um, I thank you that there's no, there's no condemnation in any of this but there is freedom and an invitation to living life in all its fullness as you always meant for us as your good creation. And in Jesus' name we pray. I ask that you give me, Holy Spirit, grace to be able to put into word and story the things that are on your heart that will help all of us connect with you today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been a crazy week, really, hasn't it? If you're watching anything on television and the life of um, our world, it's like all of a sudden people are getting very itchy and very um, concerned about international affairs and people with great power are choosing to make decisions and actions. And um, for, for many people right now, um, it's cause for anxiety or cause for concern. And um, it's interesting that... Um, what we see playing out, if we just use the snapshot picture of um, our world leaders, we, we see um, very, just a very small insight into as much as, um, you know, the United Nations would be trying to paint a picture that there's this great sense of, you know, global unity, what we're seeing right now is far from that. What we're seeing, actually, is there is a great sense of distance and alienation between the nations. And there is a great distance between the nations. And um, 
I think that one of the um, the great things, well, one of the great things that we, as the people of the kingdom of God, get to speak into at a time like this is that there is another way for the world. There is another way for the world. And it's not alienation, but it's reconciliation. And we see that in the person of Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross and over the grave. For... Um, the other, th- I was watching on um, uh, old man TV the other night. Four Corners. <laughs> I was watching on TV the other night this um, great article. I think it was Four Corners on Mark Zuckerberg and how he really, as the inventor of Facebook, uh, Facebook, Facebook, is um, he is literally he is literally now um, one of the most influential and powerful men in the world. And he can pretty much orchestrate whatever narrative he wants the world to know through social media. And his biases and his leanings and his worldview is what rides over all of this social media. And if there's things that he doesn't like or agree with philosophically, theologically, spiritually, intellectually... He has a whole team of people that just slowly weed that stuff out and only let through what he wants to let through. Now, I'm saying that in rather crass terms, and, but, but that's what's going on there with Mark. He, is a, he has a place of great influence, and I forget how many billions of people they said now are connected to the, each other through Facebook. I think it's something like three billion people on planet Earth, so nearly half of the world population is connected in this platform called Facebook. And the idea, obviously, is this place of... hyper-connectivity. It's telling the world that we are really all connected. And yet, one of the things that we're seeing uh, as a result of this hyper-connectivity through social media is actually just how alienated people really are from each other. And the whole Facebook thing is actually a big facade that's selling a story that, yes, we're all this, um, you know, great big happy family and actually it's just not true that the, the, the story of people's lives that, we're, that are being portrayed through social media and so forth tell a story of perhaps maybe what they would like life to be and yet at the same time we see through um, the lens of social media we see all of these models and thoughts and illustrations of how life should be and how we should be living life and then what happens is you'll find online you've only just got to you've only just got to put out there one little bit of conviction like a thought that you might believe in or of, of your worldview and before you know it you'll have 50 million people rousing on you from the other corner of the world yelling at you and telling you how wrong you are and and case in point you are really alienated from each other. It's just highlighting the fact that humanity is alienated from each other. There's many things that alienate. Right now we have um, a whole bunch of uh, Syrian refugees who are alienated from their home. And so they find themselves, you know, being ferried all over the world in the hope of finding some reconciliation and some peace to their life. Right now we have, um, you know, over in Africa, some just devastating famine. 
where people are alienated from the basics of food and water and safety and a roof over their head. We are living in a world where, um, you know, I think it was only on the other night on Channel 9, I was watching one of the biggest drug busts we've ever had on the Gold Coast has just happened. I forget how many kilograms of the stuff just got um, the AFP grabbed a hold of, but this, there's drugs just alienating people from life and addiction levels are skyrocketing in our nation at the moment in terms of uh, drugs and so forth. Um, there's lots of forms of alienation. Some of us in this room here may even be alienated in the context of our families. We may not actually have peaceful working relationships in our families as um, we may not have uh, good relationships in our marriage relationships. We may not have good relationships in our parent-child relationships, extended family relationships. Um, There can be some real alienating effects in the lives of families. And some of us here um, feel alienated ever since maybe we we lost some family along the way. And we felt alienated and lost. Um, some of us are in the in the room here, and we're struggling for health, physical, emotional, and mental well-being, and we feel alienated and lost because we're hoping that we would get um, a true sense of health and life. I hope I'm labouring the point to you. And the point is, alienation is at work in the earth. And it is both a natural dynamic and it is a spiritual work that is trying to prevent people from coming into and returning to God's good order, God's life of reconciliation. Where does alienation come from? Well, in the Bible, the alienation comes from the the Genesis story, the Genesis account, where we're left in that account uh, with, an, uh, with an illustration of and the reality of a worldview where God made all things good and he invests in humanity the, the caretaking of his good creation. And yet um, in that same moment we see the entrance of an opposing kingdom that comes and actually usurps the power and the authority that people were given by God and takes it from people and so from that moment on we see this fruit where people are broken and alienated from God and they're alienated from each other. Now it's into this awful, awful reality and mess that the kindness of God does not give up and we see that in the person of Jesus. We see him coming and conquering all forms of alienation. And this morning, um, Caitlin read out um, John's Gospel. I also just want to quickly read to you um, out of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And Paul writes uh, just this little excerpt out of 2 Corinthians five sixteen to 19. So from now on, he's talking here in the context of the fact that Jesus Christ has died and has been raised to life. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do not do it any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, they are a new creation. 
The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he committed to us this message of reconciliation. Now, what's all this got to do with you and me? Well, this morning I want to tackle three faces of alienation, just three I think they're three good ones, or they're not good, but I think they're three big ones. I think put it like that: three big issues of alienation that are at work. And um, and we'll, the first one is this: the first face of alienation that's at work over people's lives in our cultures, in our marriages, in our families, in our governments, in churches, is this one called offence. Our hearts have a choice and they have an ability in light of God's goodness to be able to choose to forgive or to hold on to offence. And determining on just our response to that, to offence, really determines if we have got a hold of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has created for us a new way. Now, if ever there was a point where perhaps God could have said through Christ, no, that's it, I'm done with you, it would have been there at the cross. But there on the cross, we hear the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Jesus here is tackling one of the greatest powers of alienation, which is our tendency to want to take offence at people, at things said to us, things done to us, or even, um, you know, the way someone may even look at us. At many times, we choose to move away from the invitation of God because offence takes root. Um, we see in the Christian life that Jesus, or in the Christian account, the account of Jesus, we see that he had very good reason to say, you know what, what you're saying to me right now is just really darn offensive. Now, he didn't have, he didn't have 18C in play, okay? He didn't have 18C in play, all right? He, 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 that was not the, the cultural context. Um, there was a freedom of speech at play, there wasn't some governing legislation. He was, people were free to tell Jesus exactly what they thought of him. And he had, he had every right to be offended with what people were saying to him and doing to him. And yet in the face of that, his response is, I forgive, Father, forgive them. Now, the reason for this wanting to forgive is that Jesus had a higher purpose. Jesus had a much higher purpose at play here. Um, and what we see is that in his forgiving people whilst hanging on the cross and then going to the grave, he's trusting God the Father to empower him to rise above the offence that's been sent his direction. Now, Jesus suffered way much more than just a verbal, way much more than just a verbal. His very life was taken, and yet he chose 
not to be offended. You see, do you remember that, that scripture we just read there? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Not counting. If there's one thing I know I'm really good at, it's counting the offences when people offend me. And I have this little compartment in my life where, right, I will remember that. Now, I don't think I'm the only one in this room that does that. I've got a hunch there might be a few of us where we tend to take the offences of people and we just, I'm going to lock that over here. I'm going to smile here, but I'm just going to lock it over here. And it just begins to drive and fuel our capacity or our inability to have relationship because we're living from a place and space of alienation. But God chose in Christ to not count men's sins against them. When I was a young fella, we had this lady stay at our house and um, when we were living down in New South Wales. And she lived with us for a season and then... Um, Mum, my, my parents, they travelled and this lady looked after us. And But one of the things that I discovered um, as I was walking through my parents' bedroom and um, when the house was empty and this lady was, was out and I walked through my parents' bedroom and I saw on the side of the, the table, the bedside table there, she had left a packet of snakes lollies. And as a young fella, I just thought, well, I may as well just have one, really. So I did. I had one. And then I thought to myself, you know, later that same day, actually, and then everyone was home and she was home. But I just waited till it was clear. And I snuck in there, took another Alan's Snakes lolly and enjoyed it. And, and then, anyway, so I did this. Over the course of about four days, I would just go in, take one or two, and go and hide them again and, and enjoy them. Now, obviously, this lady was on to me because she didn't remove the packet. And she, if she had any smarts, she would have been going, you know what? Some My lollies are going missing here, you know? Anyway, it, I was caught with my hand in the packet caught with my hand in the packet. But, but you know what this lady did? She didn't count it against me. She was able to, like, and if I counted how many there was, I mean, there, I don't know, maybe I took maybe about a dozen or so, best part of the whole packet, really. And, but she didn't count it, and she didn't hold it against me. And, in fact, she, um, you know, she called me on it. I've caught you. But she didn't hold it against me. She said, but I'm not going to hold that against you, literally. And so I was freed. Now, I was this young little, you know, guy. And she had every right to count that against me and hold it against me. But she didn't. She said, no, that's okay. I'm not going to hold that against you. Now, that's just a kid with snakes lollies. But let's get into the deep end of the pool here. Let's get into the deep end of the pool where we're talking about our relationship with each other and how we can hold it against each other. Just yesterday at, at, um, 
El Castle Delaney. I was washing the car in the driveway and um, as I was washing the car in the driveway, I heard there was a bit of a conversation going on inside my home. And usually if I can hear a conversation from the garage while I've got the radio blaring and the vacuum vacuuming the car and I can still hear the conversation going on, it usually means the conversation is a heated conversation. I'm not sure if your family has those, but mine does. My family has some very good heated conversations. Um, and But one of the things that we're trying to learn to do well is fight well and not avoid conflict, but do it well. And so we're growing. We're trying to learn how to do that together as a family. <laughs> anyway, so I, I won't say who, who it was all in between, but it was all going on. And then finally, um, Nick just yells at the top of a voice. She says, well, that's okay. I still love you. And I'm now going to go and uh, clean the toilets. (laughs) And off off she went. And she didn't hold the offence against uh, one of my kids. She just said, no, that's it. It's done. You're done. It's free. You're free. I'm I'm moving on. I'm not going to stand here and hold this against you any longer. This is what God has done for us in Jesus. And if you honestly want to stand um, honestly before God, you can clearly and without, wouldn't take much really, be able to register before God all of the offensive ways of who we are towards him and towards others. And yet he chooses to not count that against us. He apportions that, get this, he apportions all of that onto Jesus. All of that. He doesn't count men's sins against them. He apportions it all over to Jesus. And Jesus takes the power of all of that stuff that alienates to the grave with him. This is really key. If we're going to maintain a life of fruitfulness and growth and not bitterness and cynicism, then we must understand this key. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Be quick to forgive. This key is a key to a life of power that in the forgiving you are opening the door to being able to rise above the power of offence, to rise above it even as Jesus did from the grave and not be bound or captive by it. This key is, um, is also one where In choosing to forgive others, what we're saying is, I'm no longer holding you responsible for my personal sense of well-being. I'm not going to make my well-being based on how you are treating me. But my well-being comes from my true identity in God, who in Jesus can tackle offence and go, you know what? I just choose to forgive you because that's what kingdom people do and I'm not going to hold it against you. We're going to rise above it. Offence is something very powerful that's at work alienating people, families, communities, churches, you name it. It's a demonic tool. But when we can choose to forgive and forgive quickly, forgive quickly, we move into the life of resurrection power resurrection power 
and we can leave that offence in the grave. Offences. Now, the other, the other one I want to talk about quickly this morning is unresolved historical pain. Now, to say that Jesus didn't understand pain is, is not true. Just hours before his crucifixion, he's with the ones that he's, he's loved and walked with and invested and poured his life into, these group of disciples, this ragtag bunch of people, these disciples. He's poured himself into them. He's loved them. He's prayed with them. He's fed them. He's cared for them. He's given them a vision of his kingdom. And just before he's, um, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, he is betrayed. He is betrayed by Judas. Jesus understands pain. To think that Jesus said to Judas, go and do what you have to do and have, feel no connectivity to that is to deny Jesus his humanity and therefore he would not have any connectivity with you and me. But when, when Judas sold him out, Judas sold him out for a few bucks. He sold him out for a few bucks. That, that would have ripped deep into who Jesus is and his heart. To think that here is one that he's poured his life into and yet he's now being sold out by. And yet Jesus trusted the Father with his pain in his determination to bring reconciliation to, for you and for me. I'm sure Jesus, up to the cross, carried unresolved historical pain. I'm sure he did. But it's what he did with it. At the cross, he trusted all of that unresolved pain to God, to the Father. Now, unfortunately, the pain that we experience from the history of relationships, unless it's trusted into the care of God, it will become our stumbling block. It, it will become our stumbling block. It wasn't, it wasn't what was on top of the water that sunk the Titanic that could be seen. It was what was under the waterline that sunk the Titanic. And what is under the waterline for many people is unresolved historical pain. And that comes from many sources. It comes from people doing the wrong thing to each other. It comes from wrong things that we have committed, have been committed against us and that we have committed against others. It's the fruit of it leaves us internally emotionally, spiritually, and even mentally fractured. Fractured. That's what historical pain does. It fractures you. Because what you do is you just bag it down and try and hold it at bay. But the next time you go around the mountain and the pressure is on, you will find that unresolved historical pain will surface yet again and it will alienate and it will drive you away from God and from people. Last night, um, last night or the night before, Nicole and Luke and I 
we were watching a um, a story, a real life story of a lady online, and I recommend that you go to this website. It's it's a website called I Am Second, and it's a whole series of stories of people talking about how God is first in their life and how they have chosen to walk life after meeting Jesus, knowing that He is first and they are second. And it's their stories. And this one story that we watched together was of a lady whose um, grandfather, I think it was, was the founder of a hamburger chain in California. Now, this hamburger chain is fantastic. Fantastic hamburgers, let me tell you. Whenever I go to California, the few times I've been there, it's like the first thing off the plane is let's go and have an In-N-Out burger. These things are awesome. Back on track. Now, um, now this lady is the granddaughter of the original um, uh, president and owner of um, In-N-Out Burgers. And she tells the story of how when she was about 12 years of age, it was 10 or 12, um, her father, her father died. And from that moment on, she felt deep, deep pain in her heart and her life. And she went basically the rest, you know, the whole of her life seeking for something and someone to heal that fractured heart that was within her. And the fruit of that journey, of that search, was that she, um, she, had, she married three times had children to, I think, two of the three husbands. Um, and um, just her life was just shattered at every level. And yet she had, she wanted for nothing in terms of the material because she had, she's, you know, an inheritance of gazillions of dollars. So it wasn't a money thing that was going to solve it for her because she already had that, that there. But as we listened to her story and she told of the journey of how her heart was broken and then after her third marriage failed, through her tears she shared about how she had an encounter with Jesus and how Jesus came and met with her and in meeting with her, he reached deep into the very pain, that historical pain that she had carried for many, many, many years. And he reached into that pain with his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and completely healed her heart. She, in that moment, trusted to Jesus all of that historical disappointment, hurt and pain. She's now married, she's doing great in work, and she's also an amazing um, Christian witness and disciple of Jesus and engaged in serving the poor in some pretty big urban contexts. I am second. Get a hold of that website. But in it is this story of someone who trusted God with their historical pain and Jesus came Friends, I want to let you know, this Easter, Jesus wants to deal with what lies beneath. That's why he went to the grave. He wants to deal with what lies beneath. 
And I'm not sure if you're sick of it, but I get a gutful of the stuff that lies beneath and continues to want to rob, hound and haunt me and the people around me and the ones I love and particularly you as my church family. I get a gutful of that because I know Jesus. Jesus, he wants to take that from us so that we can rise above it and be a people of freedom who trust God with our stuff, knowing that God is good and merciful and heals. The good news, the good news, and I'm speaking, maybe I'm not speaking to you, but maybe I'm speaking to your historical pain that continues to put you in prison and hold you captive and alienate you from the very people that God's placed you among to love you into all life. Maybe it's your pain that I'm speaking to this morning. The good news of the resurrected Jesus is he wants you to trust him with that pain so that you can rise above it. Stop living in the dregs. Stop living in the, you know, the, the bottom of the beer barrel. Get out of it. Trusting God and rising above our pain brings us into this new life as new creations in God. Last one, unmet expectations. We live in a high, just a hyperculture of expectation, a hyperculture of expectation. Every business, you deal with us and we will do this, this and this. And the reason why we do that is because people want to hold us to account. And if, and if we fail at any point, if we, if we trip up at any point, if we make a, a mess of something at any point, there's never any forgiveness from the world. It's only more alienation and isolation. But here, Jesus in his resurrection brings new life for people who are walking around trapped in the prison of unmet expectations. Now, we didn't read it this morning, but there's an amazing account at the end of Luke's Gospel where there's these two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. They've seen Jesus crucified and died, and they're walking away on the, on the road to Emmaus, and their words to each other, Jesus actually, the resurrected Jesus now, comes and stands alongside them. They don't recognise it's him, and, there's, and he says to them, what are you talking about as you're walking along this road to Emmaus? And their words were, where have you been? And then they said to him, we'd, we'd hoped that he would be the one to redeem us, talking about Jesus. We'd hoped... That's past tense. They were present but living in a past tense mindset. Oh, we had hoped. They were living deep from a place of unmet expectation or perceived unmet expectation anyway, in this case. Their unmet expectation had blinded them to the fact that the resurrected Christ was actually walking alongside them on this road and they were living in that state. And when we live in that state, when we, when we live in that unmet expectations, I, there's people in this room who are, it's 2017 
But you've been living in your unmet expectations since like 2005 and you haven't moved on with your life. You're still in prison. There's people in this room. I know your stories. You know mine. Don't pretend. Jesus came to set people free from unmet expectation and say, don't live with that lens. Don't live with the power of that lens. Live in the hope of the resurrected Jesus Christ. I mean, how many of us are stuck in prisons? And we're just doing time and we're spinning wheels and we're just doing all of this. And that's because the cruel, cruel master, and it is cruel and relentless, the cruel master of unmet expectation will ride you and, ro- and reign over you and define you and tell you what you can enjoy and what you cannot enjoy. And it's no longer Jesus. How many of us are stuck in that prison? How many of us have been coloured with that lens of cynicism and bitterness? How many of us are stuck in the place of unable to actually enjoy, actually just enjoy Jesus? Enjoy the relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the relationship with Jesus' people. How many of us are unable to settle and find spiritual home and roots and just keep moving from relationship to relationship, from church to church, from place to place, all because the relentless master of unmet expectations is driving you? I've only ever found unmet expectations to be cruel and very disappointing. And it only ever leads down a pathway of isolation and alienation. But the good news of Jesus is that he can, he will, and he wants to step into our unmet expectations, just like those guys that were walking on that road to Emmaus, step into those unmet expectations and completely turn our life around with the power of his love. And in exchange, give us Instead of us telling God how he should be for us, we actually enter into the fullness of a life where God says, this is how I want to be for you. I mean, just take that off God for a minute. Just take that lens off God for a minute. Oh God, I want you to do this for me and you need to do that and that and that. Just, just take all that off, just, just like for one day. And just give, give yourself over to the idea that God wants to reveal himself to you as he really is in all his fullness and grace and kindness. He is a passionate God. That's what we see in Jesus. He is a loving, all-consuming Jesus. He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. This is the good news, the power of, of alienation is broken, is broken. And Paul actually says it there. He says um, um, in 2 Corinthians 5, he, sell, he, he now says, you know what, I now live my life with, as one who is compelled, my life is compelled by this love of Jesus. It's not compelled by alienation. It's not compelled by offence. It's not compelled by unmet expectations. It's not compelled by any of that anymore. But Paul's whole life 
is compelled by this love of Jesus that would go and make a way for him to be reconciled to God and all other people. And then he says this, he says, and you know what? God's committed to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. Hello, church. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. The world needs some ambassadors right now. I mean, all the big guns are getting on their planes and trying to do business over important, you know, issues on TV. But my goodness, my goodness, the world needs some ambassadors, ones who are sent with the message of reconciliation, where we can go into the world and say, see all the offen- that, that stuff, that offensive stuff? Don't worry about it. Jesus is taking care of that. Enter into a relationship with him. All of those unmet expectations, don't worry about all that. Let him, let him reach in there. Let him give you his kingdom agenda. The church, the church, the church, the ambassadors of Jesus in the world. The world will only be as unoffended as the church is walking in its true identity of no offence. The message of the gospel of the kingdom of God, be reconciled to God. That's Paul's message. He he actually uses these words in um, 2 Corinthians 5.19. He says, I implore you. I implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Now, if you've had a gut full of alienation at work over your life, in any of your circumstances, if you've got unmet expectations that continue to be cruel master over your life, if you continue to find yourself dealing with time and time again unresolved historical pain and or you find yourself easily offended or offendable, and you want to come out of the alienation of all of that and into the reconciling love of God in Jesus Christ, if you want that, to use Paul's words, we implore you, be reconciled to God. If you would like to be reconciled to God this morning, we're going to pray in a minute, and I'm going to invite God to have a conversation with all of our hearts. And in that conversation... I'm going to ask God to, to, to reach into those areas of isolation, of offence and unmet expectation and historical pain. And I want to implore you, if I could, I don't know how to implore. I'm not sure how to demonstrate implore. Just do it. <laughs> Just give yourself to God and come into the new life of Jesus that he won for you in his resurrection. Be reconciled to God. Let's stand and pray. Lord God, we just give you thanks. We really do. In this moment, we give you thanks for your great love and passion for us as individuals, as a, as a people. 
for the whole world. Thank you. Thank you. You have great passion for us through Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you, right in this moment, you don't count our junk, our sin, our offences, our our judgments, our cynicism. You don't hold it against us, but you just wipe it away from us. And you don't let it get in the way. And I just ask right now, God, in your kindness and by the power of your spirit, would you come and have a conversation with our heart? Would you come and have a conversation with our heart? And where we just like, would you overwhelm just our inability to humble ourselves? And would you kindly jump that fence for us and not hold it against us anymore? And set us free from that, that stuff that's alienated us, from you and from each other and from this world. Just come, Holy Spirit, have that conversation with every single person in this room. Come, Holy Spirit. Let the power of the good news of the resurrection come alive in us. Would, there, would your reconciling love just now, God, Father, would you just reach into all of our, just all of our fences? Come, Holy Spirit. where we've been hurt and we've just been offended by others and it's actually now become like a like a, a brick wall around our heart and it's made us so hard and cynical. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you just come and just push that wall over? In your kindness, God, would you just reach through that and not hold it against us but just reach through it? And we might, like Jesus, rise above into a whole new life, a brand new life. Come, come, Holy Spirit, come. And all of the, all that unresolved historical pain that stopped us from living life with you, God, and in our families and in our workplaces and in our schools and even in our own self, just all that historical pain that just lies beneath and festers away in there and alienates us, oh God. Help us to just trust that to you right now, God. Just to surrender it up. Just to surrender it up. 
Spirit come. Let the resurrection come. Oh God, all those unmet expectations of how we put the agenda onto you. And those unmet expectations have become a very cruel master to us. Jesus, would you come and help us to just surrender all those unmet expectations? And would you give us a revelation of who you are? Not what we want you to be for us. Not what we had hoped. But would you come and show us who you are? Come, Lord Jesus. Today, let the good news, let the good news of the risen Jesus be our experience today. Increase your presence, Holy Spirit. I just speak to you now in Jesus' name. I just say, be reconciled. Be reconciled. Today's the day. Be reconciled. Be reconciled to God.